All right, if you have a Bible, the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. The book of Ephesians, chapter 6. When discussing the subject of temptation, obviously uh, the first thing you have to do is really define what temptation is and what isn't. And uh, we, uh, when it, once, you've, once you've kind of defined it, understand that it's an, not only is it an enticement of evil, not, well, it's an enticement to evil, but it also is a trial because every trial is an enticement to evil to get us in our thinking and our speaking and our desiring and our feeling and in our action to do that which is contrary to God's word. Once we understand the nature of temptation, we then try to figure out God's involvement in it or not in it, which becomes very complicated and convoluted. Once you kind of figure that out, Then you start looking at the different kinds of temptations. Once you start understanding the different kinds of temptations, then you come to realize that there are two certainties in life, two very important certainties, and that is temptation will constantly happen your entire Christian life, and you will continue to sin no matter what. And so then we have to figure out, well, what do you do after you sin? What should be the focus? What should be the focus? And we, we talked about this morning that the focus has to be not so much on behavioral modification, which is where everyone goes. Now that you've sinned, fix this. But it has to be going more on confession, forgiveness, and ensuring to strengthen and restore fellowship with God has to be the focus, not on just modifying behavior, right? Because no matter how much behavior you modify, what is going to constantly be a reality in your life? Sin, it's going to be there. And so that, I, I know Christianity completely rejects that mentality, uh, but they do so. Well, after you've kind of gone through a lot of that and, and, a lot of, and just a lot of the other things you can talk about regards to temptation, at some point, you have to kind of ask yourself, you have to begin to kind of consider, think about, or at least typically this is the way it works. You have to start thinking about, well, then what can I do to stand against temptation. What can I do to protect myself from it? What can I do to, to protect myself from it? Oh, yeah, the, I don't have that mic on. I don't have the mic on. Yeah, no, I, everything is set up up here now, okay? So, yeah, you're like, what happened? Right, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, you then have to start asking yourself, how do you stand against temptation? How do you do this? And, of course, typically... Christians turn to a certain passage of scripture going, this is what you have to do. This is how you stand against it. This is how we battle it. This is how we fight it. And that passage is found in the book of, where did I tell you to turn? Ephesians chapter 6. Exactly. Ephesians chapter 6. This passage has been talked about forever. And well, I know you're going to be shocked. But I think I disagree with the way everyone's handled it for 2,000 years, okay? Because uh, it doesn't work, okay? At some point, you got to go, something's wrong with the way everyone handles this because it doesn't work, all right? So Ephesians chapter 6, let's start in verse 10. Everyone knows this passage, right? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's verse 10. Everybody see that? Ephesians 6, 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. All right, we know that passage very well, right? You've read it. You probably heard about a bazillion sermons on it. Right? And the basic, the way is that, what, how is the concept basically structured? How is it basically put forth? When you hear a sermon, how is it basically taught? How is it typically taught? Okay. 
All right, so somehow, like, and, it, and it's always funny to have Christians try to explain it because after they've heard 50 sermons on it, and when they explain it, they still can't really articulate in very concrete terms exactly what happens, right? So supposedly there's armor. If we get the armor on, then we can do what? We can stand against the devil. Now, theoretically, that should mean that we should be able to stand against the devil and do what? When? Be victorious. So then it comes down to, well, all I got to do is put it on. So if I ask you, what does it mean to put it on? What do you think? How, how have you answered that in your Christian life? What does it mean to put it on? Okay. Some say we put it on by reading the Bible every day. Right? Do you put on the armor by reading the Bible? Okay. That, that seems pretty generic, right? Because I know a lot of people read the Bible all the time and they still sin. All right, so that doesn't seem to work so well, right? What else? What else? How else do you put it on? Okay, right. All right, it does tell you what it is, but how do you put it on? How do you put it on, right? Like, I mean, but I'm, I'm just saying, everyone hears the sermons. Everyone says, amen. Everyone says, oh, that's a great sermon, pastor. Thank you for telling me about the armor that will protect me. And then you say, but no, 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 don't leave yet. Tell me, how do you put it on? And everyone has a heart. Everyone kind of struggles, right? I have heard that each morning you wake up, this is Charles Stanley, this is his, his way, every morning when you wake up, you, you, in your mind, you picture each armor and you picture yourself putting it on. And you pray, Lord, I'm putting on the helmet. And then when you do that, then you, throughout the day, guess what? You've got the armor on, I guess. I don't know exactly how that's supposed to work, but it, uh, dun, 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 and guess what? You'll never sin again. D- does that work? I know it doesn't work. So, so I, how, what exactly does it mean? Now, I, I think we have to come up with some kind of answer because if we don't, it's, it's, a, it's a problematic. I'm going to read, I'm going to be borrowing from a number of articles just to kind of see if we can develop maybe, well, this is what we're going to do. We'll try to understand how other people speak of it. Then we're going to step back from everything that they speak, we're going to try to put forth a hypothesis, right? And then we're going to then maybe try to test it and see. And we're going to try to do all of this in about 40 minutes, all right? So I don't know if we can pull this off. But I'm going to try to finish this all in one standalone sermon. That's my goal. Um, but we'll see. All right, so you ready? Let's start with the first kind of article, all right? This article, they, they, this article has a picture of someone carrying a toolbox, Right? So it's almost the idea that when we go live out the Christian life, our toolbox has what? All the things we're going to need to accomplish this. And, of course, in the toolbox would be, I guess, our armor. We've got to carry our armor around. And at any point in time, we've got to put that armor on so that we can, we can fight this battle. That's, that's the picture they give. All right? Here is how they begin. During the closing months of World War II... Nazi Germany became so desperate that they initiated the People's Army. This was not a part of the regular army, but an attempt to boost their numbers by conscripting males from age 16 to 60 to step up and fight. There was no real time to train these men. With continual fighting and lack of weapons, these untrained soldiers were often able to familiarize were often only able to familiarize themselves with their equipment while actually engaging their enemy. So in most cases, they didn't even have time to learn anything. They just got there, got a gun, and they had a fight, and they had to figure it out in the middle of battle. I, I, yeah, well, we could, I could talk about a, a classic novel about this and a movie, but I won't go into getting through all of that. But yeah, it was a horrible situation. These young guys were like, oh, we're going to go, you know, defend Germany, and it's like it was all patriotism, and it was going to be this amazing thing, and then they found themselves in the horrors of war that they were not equipped or prepared to deal with. Anyone who's ever served in the military can attest to the importance of training and being properly equipped. Knowing how to properly engage the enemy is critical to victory. So here, what they're going to say is, okay, 
Now, we've been talking about temptation, right? We know we're going to be tempted. We know sin is going to happen. But now to, to be able to fight it, we got to know how to, we need the proper training so that we can properly engage the enemy. Right? Sounds good? Right? Now, again, what, what, the question is, what does that look like? What does that mean what? Practically. Theoretically, that preach is good. Practically, I don't think anyone can ever articulate exactly what it is. What, did it, what does it almost get always reduced to? When, when you just when you cover when you take away all the language, what does it almost always get reduced to? How do we engage the enemy? Come on, what's what's the Christian answer to everything? Read your Bible, go to church, pray. Oh, and you need four small groups because you can't live without them, right? Okay, what else? Okay, faith, right? I mean, it's just these basic things that's said over and over and over and over and over. But it's always preached that this is the way to, that if you do these things, you will have what? Victory. Which then gives the concept that there can be no failure because there's no reason to fail because you have all of this. Therefore, we will never, basically, we will not sin. Even though we say that's not true, that's the perception that is given. And failure is, well, then all kinds of bad things. The Christian life is a battle. Okay, we can all agree with that, yes? In Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, the Apostle Paul pointed to the equipment God provides to his followers. Like an experienced general, Paul pointed to the spiritual armor God has provided for the spiritual battle we face. Now, so this is just, just think about this. I oh man, sometimes the Christian life just is so perplexing to me. All right, so let's try to think this through. Okay, so, all right, let's just think this logically and rationally, okay? All right, so here's God, right? Obviously, he creates Satan, right? Knowing what Satan's going to do. He obviously does not destroy Satan, right? Um, He allows Satan to earth and instigates the fall. Even after the fall, he still does not destroy Satan. Satan is now roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He still doesn't destroy him, okay? He still doesn't limit him, all right? So then I become a Christian, and he's like, hey, guess what? You are in a battle. Now, for me to have victory over the battle, he could do what would be two things he could eliminate to ensure absolute victory. Get rid of the devil and remove our sinful nature. But no, I'm not going to get rid of the enemy. I'm not going to get rid of his sinful nature. I'm going to give you armor. But the armor doesn't protect from what? The sinful nature. This is why Christians constantly view the battle as fighting that which is external. Right? Don't watch the wrong movies. Don't go, make sure you're home at midnight because nothing good happens after midnight, right? Like all, like we come up with all of these little rules because, because, so we, because we think of when you put on armor, what are you fighting? What kind of battle are you fighting? An external. But you can put on all the armor to fight the external, but the problem is inside the armor. The problem is not what's outside the armor. The problem is the one wearing the armor. So already I'm perplexed and confused by that. I know you're not supposed to say this as a pastor, but I'm just being honest. The whole thing makes no sense to me, right? Hey, why do I need armor? You can get rid of the one that I'm supposed to be fighting against. Not only that, you can get rid of the nature that is so in line with the one I'm supposedly fighting against. So already I'm perplexed and confused, right? Am I the only one? I hope other Christians think this way. Maybe, all right? Paul pointed to the spiritual armor God has provided for the spiritual battle we face. Our enemy, the devil, is vicious, but in Christ, our victory is sure. Now, wait. It sounds good to say our victory is sure, but what, what, do, we, what do we mean when, someone, when a pastor says that? In Christ, your victory is sure. We need to know exactly what they mean by that, right? Because is our victory sure in this life? No. Not if, if the standard is holiness, then victory is not sure. If the victory being talked about is eternal, then is our victory sure? 
Absolutely. So first we have to define what do we even mean by victory. Well, if the spiritual armor is for the here and now, your immediate assumption is the victory being spoken of is here and now. All right, so now I'm even more confused, right? Okay, wait. So God doesn't get rid of the enemy, doesn't get rid of the nature, but he's going to have armor that I put on that's going to give me a victory. Well, if the victory is for now, that's not going to fix it. Yes? All right, okay. Um, the battle against temptation means we must be strong. All right, here, now listen to this. The battle against temptation means we must be strong, suit up, and stand firm. Immediately, immediately, I want you to hear that. The, the, whole, the whole battle against temptation rests on what? According to that sentence. On me, on us. What three things, what do we, what, what three things must we do according to this article? No, be strong, suit up, and stand firm. It's on you. Now, wait a minute. Who's the problem? <laughs> I'm the problem. So, like, I, I, I don't understand. I'm, I'm perplexed. I know, I know, I know. People are like, I've listened to a lot of sermons on Ephesians 6 and never heard them start this way. Okay. But someone's got, look, I've, heard, I've sat in too many sermons on Ephesians 6. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've, I've had, I've studied Ephesians, uh, schools, different, I, I, I've studied Ephesians a million times, right? And every time when I get to the spiritual armor, on one hand, I'm like, this is good, right? Because it preaches good. It's so visual. Like we can, it, it, you're, you, people get excited. But I think, you know why I think so many people get excited about Ephesians 6? It's because we all know we're in a battle and we know we all constantly struggle. So we think this is going to finally be the answer. The breakthrough. And then when it comes down to it, well, the answer is what? Hey, you. You. Just be strong. Well, wait, I've already got a weakness inside of me. So I've already got this card stacked against me. Suit up. Okay, how do I? What's the obvious question? How do I suit up and then stand firm? Okay. I, I got, I don't know. Am I the only one who's got some issues here? Okay. I, I hope I'm, I hope at least, I know a good portion of this is just going to be me expressing what I hope everyone else feels, but I can't be the only one. I can't be the only one who's ever had these questions. I can't be. Maybe I am, but I, I'm sorry. I, I'm just constantly perplexed here. All right. So then, this, this article gives us Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. All right, so let's read it again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to, to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, before we read any more of the article, I want you to focus on verse 12. I want you to really, maybe for the first time, soak in verse 12. So, uh, really soak it in, all right? Now, verse 12 first tells us what we're not fighting against. What are we not fighting against? Flesh and blood. So we know we're not fighting against something physical. All right, that's important to note, right? Right? Because that means then, obviously, we know we're not talking about a physical armor because we're not talking about a physical enemy. What are we fighting against? Okay, go through all the, uh, 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 list them all. What are all the descriptive factors to list them? Okay, first it says principalities, all right? Just quickly, look up the Greek word and give me a, a, a simple definition of principalities. Just give me a simple definition of principalities. Okay, do I, and have I used rulers? All right, rulers. All right, some some other somebody else. Give me. Yeah, Strong's definition is good. Magistrate. Okay. 
Okay, so this is someone, what we'll call these spiritual rulers or spiritual authority. Okay, right? What, what else do you have? Okay. All right. Do you have something else? Okay, all right. Let's just see if anybody else has anything else. I sw- it's a leader. So, a ru- so rulers. We have spiritual rulers. So I just want you to make, so the first thing, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual rulers, spiritual authority of some sort. Just keep that in mind. Next, powers. Principality. So rulers, powers. What's the Greek word for powers there? The Greek word for powers. The, the NIV, how does it translate powers after principalities or rulers? Okay, authority, okay. Is powers just... Okay, the word powers. Okay, mastery, competency, force. So we're dealing with authorities that have mastery, they have force, they have some kind of strength. Okay, now that, that, I just want you to realize what we're dealing with, Right? Okay, so we're, we're not dealing with flesh and blood, principalities, powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. What I want you to do is when you see that going, oh my goodness, what are we actually fighting against? We are fighting against something, I, I think you would agree, it seems to articulate that what we're fighting against is far greater than what? Us, but remember how this article said, who does this depend on? Us, because we got to, what? Stand, we got to sit, be strong, suit up, and stand firm. Now, whatever this armor is, has to somehow be more powerful than that. But so if, now just think about it, just think about it, all right? Let's go, let's say you're at the Abilene Zoo, right? And right before you walk into the Abilene Zoo, they hand you, Saying you're going to need this. And you're like, well, what is it? Well, it's just protection. From what? You just, you'll, you'll just need. It's something really powerful, right? And then you're walking along, and all of a sudden they find out, red alert, red alert, the lion is loose. The lion is loose. Put, open up your box and put it on. Well, you're going to need to know exactly how to put that on. Because if it's not put on properly, you may be walking out of the zoo missing a couple of limbs. Right? Well, when it comes to spiritual armor, if, the, if look at what you're fighting against. Does that not sound powerful and intimidating? Or am I the only one? If it sounds that intimidating, then the whole key to standing against it will be the armor. Well, the, I need to know how to put it on. So far, what have y'all given me? How to put it on? I think someone said, read their Bible. Someone said, pray. Have faith. Like, you have not, you're not giving me really specific instructions on exactly how I put this on. Well, I don't know about you. If you're, gonna, if you're facing that, I would hope by this point in your Christian life, you've come up with a better plan than that, right? I hope you were like, you know, hey, I'm fighting these really powerful spiritual entities, and the best I can do is say, read my Bible. And, and now, come on. And let's be, let, come on. Let's see. Let's not, let's not play games, okay? Let's not play church. Let's not, let's not even pretend to be, let's, let's pretend we're not even in church, okay? Let's pretend we're somewhere else, all right? Now, now, come on, guys. Come on, let's be honest. If you really believe those entities are after you, and, you're, and if you're going to tell me that you're, <laughs> if you really believe those entities are after you, and you believe the key is reading your Bible, you guys should be the most Bible-reading group of people I have ever met in my life. Man, y'all should be reading like crazy, like all the time, like all you ever do. You just, you carry, you walk around, you carry a Bible with you wherever you go. What do you do? I'm reading. Why? Because there are things after me. Now, come on. We talk a big game. We don't believe anyone is after us. You take Becca and Stacy. They constantly think someone is after them. And that's why they lock the door 15 times behind them, right? Because they watch these crazy murder mysteries, like Dateline and all this other stuff. And they're always like, lock the door, lock the door, lock the door. Is the door locked? Is the door locked? And I'm like, we're okay. 
Okay, right? And I never want to lock anything. I don't care. And they're like, is the door locked? Is the door locked? I'm the one who always comes out like, why is the front door open? And then I'm texting everyone because like, everyone's gone. I'm like, does anybody know why the front door is open? We don't know. And then I'm like, okay. And they're like, are you going to check the house? I don't care, right? But if you're really fearful, what do you do? You lock the door. If we really believe this even remotely, I mean, come on, man. We can talk all day. We talk a big game. But if we really believe this, and if we really believe the armor was prayer and Bible reading, nobody would ever be able to contact you. Right? You'd be doing what all the time? Sorry, can't come to the phone. I'm reading and praying. Why? Because bad, these, some really mean things are after me. So you don't really feel that threatened by them. Or you don't really believe that's the way you put on the armor. Or you don't even believe the armor is real. Amen? Okay, I just want you, I, when, whenever you look at this verse, I want you to just really look at verse 12 tonight or this week, whenever. And I want you to just really think, do you really believe that's out there after you? Now, to me, you know what's more scary? I don't believe verse 12 is that scary. I am far, I am far less concerned about those things mentioned in verse 12 than I am about the thing living inside of me. That's my own personal feelings. You can, and put it this way, you can be worried about the devil you haven't seen. I'm worried about the devil I look at every time I look in the mirror. Yes, no, okay, nobody said amen to that. Okay, well, maybe y'all are like, when I just see an angel when I look in the mirror, okay, but some of us, well, I guess we realize, okay, but all right, here we go. Because of our tendency to desire ease and comfort, we need to be reminded that the Christian life is a spiritual battle. But the good news is that we do not fight in our own strength. Oh, this is good. Okay, so now it's not your own strength. Aren't you good? Aren't you glad to know this? You don't fight in your own strength. Is that not the common Christian language? Well, if I don't fight in my own strength, what strength do I fight in? The power of God. Okay, how powerful is God? All powerful. If I'm not fighting on my strength and I'm fighting with omnipotent power, I should then be sinless. Does, does anyone know? Do we never hear ourselves? Do we never hear ourselves? Hey, I don't fight in my strength. I fight in the power of God. How powerful is God? If I got all power, then I should never do what? Sin. Oh, I know I'm not supposed to ask any of these questions, but I'm going to ask these questions, right? That's why, before Paul said anything else about the spiritual uh, battle, he reminded the Ephesians to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul stated this in the passive voice, meaning we do not strengthen ourselves, but the Lord is the one who strengthens us. So we don't even have to do anything to strengthen ourselves. God does the strengthening. So therefore, if I find myself weak, whose fault is it? Not according to that. It's God's. We don't strengthen. Remember, it's written in the passive voice. So who does the strengthening? God. We don't strengthen ourselves. Therefore, whose fault would it be? It would be God. That would be the only logical conclusion. I know I'm not supposed to say that. But if they're going to make the statement that this is written in the passive voice and God is the one doing the strengthening, then it would be God's fault if I don't have the strength I need for any particular temptation. Or I mean, you just have to go here. All right? It says, Paul stated this in the passive voice, meaning we do not strengthen ourselves, but the Lord is the one who strengthens us. And what a strengthening it is. The power of his might is the same strength we see earlier in the book of Ephesians. The working of his mighty power, which God exercised when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. The same power which raised Christ from the dead is in your life to help you stand strong. Oh man, that preaches good. Everybody should say, but then immediately you should go. 
that should at least get me to close to perfection. 90% there, right? right? I mean, love the Lord that God all, with all your heart, my body, and soul. I should be there. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be holy as he is holy. Something is off. Don't we agree? I, I, I think something is off. I think something is off. God strengthen, strengthens us. As we make use of his resources, he has already provided us. Now, wait a minute. They just now kind of flipped it around. God will strengthen you when you make use of his resources. So wait, God is the one who does the strengthening, but he only does the strengthening if I make use of the resource. So now, because we all, they always have to talk themselves back out of it, right? You, don't, you can't put all the blame on God. We got to get God off the hook. So now, well, whose fault is it? It's you because you're not using the resources. Okay, now it's back on me. Okay, now it's my fault again. Okay, all right. So God's got all this power, but ultimately it's my fault because I got to make use of the resources. And what do you think resources are? The armor. So then now we're right back to figuring out how do you put it on? Is it a one-time thing? Is it an everyday thing? Can you, can, can you, all right, so here, here we go. He has already provided us the whole armor of God. Now listen, we don't suit up in our own armor or try to engage the enemy with our own resources. We suit up in the armor that the king of king puts on to save his people and judge his enemies. His arm, uh, then they quote from Isaiah 59, all right, they quote from Isaiah 59, um, and, and then well, we, won't, we won't read that now. All right, then they, they go to the next part. We need this armor because without it, we cannot stand against the wiles of the devil. Take note, this is not a physical battle, but a spiritual one. Our enemy is the devil first and foremost. When Paul referred to powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, he was refer- referring to the demonic realm. But we need not live in fear because God has exalted Jesus far above these evil cosmic powers and made him ruler over all things. Still not really helping us, yes? Do you you still understand what you're supposed to do? No. When we think about spiritual warfare, we don't think about the kinds of things that happen in movies or horror movies. Our battle is the daily war we call the Christian life. Each day we are engaged in any number of firefights against a real and vicious enemy who wants to destroy us through deception and temptation. Please know, once again, where do they put the enemy? Outside of us. This is the go-to Christian philosophy. Right? Which, which I, I will never understand. If we believe in human, if we believe in total depravity, Unless you're a Pelagian or a semi-Pelagian, I don't know why you would put the enemy outside of yourself, but okay, all right. For this reason, we must prepare for battle, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord, the one who has already won the victory. He is already on the throne, ruling over these evil cosmic powers. We engage in this daily battle by putting on his armor. Now, this is where it's even more perplexing. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. All right, he's already won the victory, but I got to fight the battle. Meaning, if he already won the victory, then why am I fighting the battle? Now, Christians are like, oh, but it's a beautiful thing. Because he already won the victory, we know we will have victory. But we may have 227 failures before we get to the victory. And guess what? The church doesn't go, hey, it's okay. Christ already won the victory. It's okay that you committed that sin. No, the church doesn't act like that. So wait a minute. If he already won the victory, why am I still fighting the battle? That's a reasonable question. Because on one hand, we're like, it's a beautiful thing. The victory is ours. Yeah, but the minute I stumble or fall, it's not such a beautiful thing. So how do we understand this? Well, let's see where they're going to go here. All right. Then they quote Ephesians 6, 14 through 16. All right. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And it says, it is interesting that in this passage about spiritual battle, we're not called to defeat the enemy. Jesus has already done that. We're called to stand firm, not losing any ground to him. 
We can stand firm when you put on the armor God provides. Okay, so we're not really, we're not really there to defeat the enemy. We're there just to stand firm against the enemy, according to them. And how do we do this? By putting on the armor. Now, once again, now it's back to whose responsibility? Ours. Now, what should, what's the question everyone should ask themselves immediately? How do I put on the armor? Have they told us how yet? No, they haven't told us how yet. So, here we go. They're going to give us, what's the first piece of armor there in Ephesians 6? All right. Okay, the loins gird about with truth. Everybody see that in verse 14? The belt of truth. All right, here we go. All right. The, I've, I've read a million different ways and way we're, way, way we're to put this on. How are you typically told you're supposed to put on the belt of truth? Okay, we're right back. Everyone, everything's going to be read the Bible. Everything's going to be read the Bible, which is hilarious to me, right? Everything is like read the Bible. Statistics have Christians don't read the Bible for anything, okay? But, but we're gonna, it's going to be read the Bible. This is what they say. Let's see if this helps us any. We stand firm against the schemes of the devil by girding ourselves with the truth of the gospel. I don't know exactly how we do this. Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. He attacks through deception. The belt secured the rest of the soldier's army, or armor and helped, held up or held, or held his weapons. Everything we do in place when we accept and trust God's word. We stand firm when we rest secure in the truth of our faith as revealed in scripture. This means that our personal devotions and Bible study are wartime activities. So, how do you put on the belt? Bible study and devotions. What a, I, I'm sorry, I don't take that even seriously. I don't take that seriously for five seconds. I just don't take it seriously. You can't get Christians to engage in Bible study if you paid them $100 an hour, okay? Or maybe, maybe that would work, okay? The, you, it's very hard. And when I say that, I'm saying in general, right? I could buy a, a million study guides, devotionals, and hand them out to Christians around the country. And what do you think is going to happen? They're going to engage in it? No, because, because one, they don't perceive the threat. And even if they do engage in it, I've been engaged in Bible study almost from the moment I became a Christian. I study, 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 study. Guess what I still do? Sin. So I, I, does, that, does that really answer the question? I don't know if that answers the question. Right? Let's go to the next one. What's the next one? Oh, boy. The breastplate of righteousness. Okay, what do you, how do you think Christians t- say what this is? Good works. Hey, you put on the breastplate of righteousness by doing right things. Holy character. Holy living. Obedience to God. You, are you, yeah, you're reading probably something that's telling you this, right? Yeah. yeah. So it comes down to now what, do you, what you do. So guess what it comes down to? Hey, here's the armor. You got to have that belt or everything's going to fall off. What do you got to do? Study your Bible, listen to sermons. Okay, well, give me a break. Okay, like I'm, I'm sorry. I don't take that serious for three seconds. Second thing, breastplate of righteousness. What do you have to do? Now, wait, now please try to figure this out. I got to have the armor on in order to fight the temptation. But if putting on the armor is doing righteousness and not sinning, then why do I need the armor since I'm already doing what's right? If doing what's right is how I put on the armor, then I don't need the armor because I'm already doing what's right. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing ever. How can Christians not see how ridiculous we say? Like anyone taking notes on this would be like, you Christians are out of your minds. Like, you don't even see the contradiction in that. Put on the armor so you can stand against the devil, but to put on the armor, you have to do everything right. Well, if I'm doing everything right, I don't need the armor. Because I did everything right in order to put on the armor. Oh, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Don't we agree? Something is wrong. I think something is horribly wrong. All right, I'm going to... Now, I can't continue with this article because we're running out of time. 
Uh, all I may be able to do here is throw at you a, uh, a hypothesis that I'm developing. From. This article does not agree with me, but they kind of lead in this direction. All right, here we go. I'm going to read a little bit of this. All right, everybody ready? Thinking caps on. The armor of God is an important truth to understand and apply. It's not just for children's coloring pages with a cute soldier in full armor. It's, after all, a command in the Bible to put on the whole armor of God. And churches, look, they go all in when they do the sermons on the armor, do they not? Oh, they'll get like a a mannequin with the armor, and they'll show you slides, right? They'll show you videos of how the armor looked on a Roman soldier, and everybody's like, ooh, uh, ah. Nobody knows what anything means after. It's just such a waste of time, right? Everybody's like, ooh, yeah, now I understand it. And you're like, Tell me how you put it on. Well, I mean, well, I do good works, and I, then why do you need it? Like, it's like a joke. I, I'm sorry, I don't, take, I, don't take, I don't take it seriously at all. This person says, I had an opportunity to spend an entire year studying and teaching on the book of Ephesians. It was the most, one of the most impactful things I've experienced. I want to share some of the things that I learned that as it sheds light on the whole armor of God in Ephesians 6. And really, how you can put it on. This guy has figured out how you can put it on. Oh, man, we better stop what we're doing right now. Someone knows how to put it on. Now, what I'll find fascinating is nobody agrees on how to put it on. Don't you love that? You can get 10 Christians together, and you think... Now, sometimes they're going to say lots of words. When you break it down, it almost always comes down to read your Bible, pray, have faith, go to church, Join a small group, you know, whatever the case may be. All right. Ephesians 6, 14 through 17, describes the six pieces of armor of God. To put on the whole armor, mean, now listen to what they say. To put on the whole armor means to believe all that Jesus has done and to live it out in daily life. All right, so that, 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 that sparked a thought in my mind, Right? In other words, to understand the armor of God in Ephesians 6, you have to look at what Ephesians chapters 1 through 5 has to, has to be understood in its right context. So what they're saying is you can't understand the armor apart from Ephesians 1 through 5. And I'm like, ooh, that's good. I like that. All right, that gets me maybe going somewhere here, right? Okay? I don't know if they, I don't think we would end up in the same conclusion, but that got me thinking, okay, I think maybe I know where to put this, right? Now listen, putting on the whole armor of God is not about a technique or, or paying attention to darkness and evil. It's not about a secret prayer. It's not about a mystical spiritual experience or a visualization, a visualization techniques. In other words, this is not about visualizing it. This is not about praying about it. It's none of those things. I completely agree, right? Because a lot of times I hear visualize each day Lord, I'm putting on the helmet. I'm now putting on the belt. That's such trash. I'm sorry. It wouldn't be trash if it worked. Look, hey, if that's what I have to do, I'd wake up each day going, I'm visualizing it. And then I'd I'd just walk in and say, hey, Stacy, I'm not going to sin today. I've got my armor on. Okay, I know you're going to sin, but it's not going to affect me because I've got armor on. So when you sin, I won't get angry and I won't get mad and I won't get frustrated. Because I will only show love and turn the other cheek because I've got my armor on. And then after about five minutes, I'll probably, then we'll demonstrate, she'll be like, obviously you didn't put it on. Right? Oh, no, okay, I guess I'm the only one who could possibly have that problem. Okay. All right. Um, Okay, there's a lot here. Okay. The... Now, this, I don't have time to articulate all of this. I'll try to, maybe I'll do it on a podcast, but at least for tonight, I just want to do this quickly. There are 12 spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 1 that relate to the armor in Ephesians chapter 6. How many pieces of armor? No, 12 blessings in Ephesians 1. How many pieces of armor? Six. Some say seven, just so that you know. There's not agreement on how many. I know everyone thinks there's agreement. There's not agreement, okay? Some say seven. We won't get into that disagreement, all right? But there are 12. So they're saying that there are 12. How many blessings in Ephesians 1? 
12, and these relate to the six pieces of armor in Ephesians 6. I'm going to go through these quickly. You ready? Look at Ephesians 1, 3. I'm going to go through these quickly. Make sure you have your Bibles open. Ephesians 1, 3. All right, what's the spiritual blessing here? We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. In whom? In Christ. All right. So immediately we know we are, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, meaning this is a, a positional situation. Agreed? Does it not say in Christ? All right, okay. How about verse 4? All right. All right. According as he hath chosen us, next words, in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Are we ever holy and without blame in this life? How are we holy and without blame? In him, positionally. This is a spiritual blessing, right? Okay, look at verse 5. All right, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, uh, himself according to the good pleasure of his will. We have been predestinated. Next, verse 5, we've been adopted. So we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. We've been chosen to be holy without, uh, uh, and without blame. We've been predestinated. We have been adopted. What's verse 6? Accepted in the beloved. We have been accepted. Look at verse 7. Redeemed through his blood, according to the riches of his grace. Look at verse 7. The next thing. Forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 8 and 9. Given wisdom and understanding of his will. Look at verse 11. We have an inheritance, right? How about verse 12? That we should be the praise of his glory, uh, who first trusted in Christ. We bring praise and glory to God. How do we bring praise and glory to God? Do I? In our position, right? All these spiritual blessings. Verse 13. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the per- purchased possession under the praise and glory. We could say gar- guaranteed of inheritance until your redemption is fulfilled. So our blessings are these. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. Chosen to be holy without blame. Predestinated. Adopted. Accepted. Redeemed. Forgiven. Given wisdom and understanding. Given an inheritance to bring praise and glory to God. Sealed with the Holy Spirit and guaranteed of inheritance until our redemption is fulfilled. All right? Now, those are all of our blessings. This is how they state it. To put on the full armor is to understand every single blessing, not missing any piece. They say the armor is simply us putting on our understanding of what we have already in Christ. It's an understanding of our positional standing. I will go so far to say, not only is it an under, here's my hypothesis, not only is it an understanding of what we already have in Christ, we don't need anything else, we just have to understand what we have in Christ, because what is my ultimate protection against Satan? What I am in Christ, not my, what I do or don't do, right? Because in Christ, can Satan do anything to me? Can Christ take away my predestination? I mean, I'm sorry, can Satan take away my predestination? Can he take away my adoption? No. Can he take away my inheritance? Can he take away my redemption? My forgiveness? My, none of that can be taken away, right? Because I've been blessed with that. I've been predestinated. I've been chosen. God, all according to whose will? My will has nothing to do with any of it in Ephesians 1, right? I mean, it even says that, correct? He did it all. So in Ephesians 6, the armor is me acknowledging and recognizing the truth of my position. That is what I stand in. We can go even a little further. Go back to Ephesians 6. Oh, man, we're out of time. I mean, we started way late. So I think we started like 7.45. So I'm obviously we didn't start at 7.45 since it's 7.03. Okay, it was a little bit of a joke there. Okay, but you get the idea. All right, Ephesians chapter 6 I'm just going to put forth a hypothesis here. Everybody ready? 
All right. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. My strength in the Lord comes in my position in him, right? Yes? What's the key phrase in Ephesians, verses, uh, chapters 1 through 5? In him. Right? Remember, if you've ever studied Ephesians, we've talked about this a million times. In him, in him, in him, in him. Everything I am is because of what I am in him, not because of what I am in practice. Everyone knows what you are in him is different than what you are in practice. In Christ, what am I? Everyone, everyone goes through the things we are in Christ. Perfect. Holy. Righteous. Obedient. Strong. A new creature. What are we in practice? Weak, unholy, not a new creature, selfish, not disobedient. Everybody understand the conflict there? All right, continue reading. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, if I've got to stand against Satan and all of his power, I've got to have something, right? All right, now listen. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, how bad our enemy is. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. All right? First thing is truth. All right? Now, if I'm in Christ, is Christ associated with truth? Okay? I would challenge everyone to go through each piece of armor and connect it to Christ. Put on, I am to put on the, the belt of truth. Give me a verse where Jesus is associated with truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He literally refers to himself as truth. I think the Bible, does the Bible refer to God as the God of truth? All right. In other words, I need to put on what? Christ. How do I put on Christ? My salvation by faith, right? All right. What's the next thing? Breastbone of righteousness. Now, what righteousness do I need? The imputed righteousness. Does, does the Bible refer to Christ as our righteousness? Jehovah, our righteousness? When Christ, our righteousness, appears? Find the verses that connect Christ as the source of our righteousness. How do I put on that righteousness? In Christ, by faith. How do I put on Christ? By faith, right? He is my, I need truth. Where is my truth? Christ. I need righteousness. Who is my righteousness? All right, what's next? Okay, the gospel of peace. Who is my peace? Christ. Who, who, the gospel is a story of whom? What Christ has done for me. I need, my, I need my feet covered in the gospel. In other words, what Jesus has done for me. That's my peace is based on that gospel, right? Okay, what's next? Shield of faith. Do, I live my life. Uh, where's the passage, uh, I'm crucified with Christ? Go look for it real quick. I'm crucified with Christ? Look for it. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Is it Galatians 2.20? Not I? I live my life by whose faith? The faith of the Son of God. Isn't that a crazy expression? If I'm going to put on the faith, whose faith do I need? In a sense, the faith of Christ. His belief. His, his trust and faith in the Father was What? Perfect. That's the faith I need, right? Okay, next. Helmet of salvation. All right, who's my salvation? Christ. He's my salvation, not me. All right, what's next? All right, the sword of the Spirit. Okay, who, uh, and the sword of the Spirit, and it's, def- it's ad- identified there, which is the Word of God. And who is the Word of God? In the beginning was the, I need, though, I need, not, 
we always take it as this, and I'm not going to argue necessarily against that, but I know this, uh, I need the living word, right? Now, I know this is living, but I need the actual eternal word of God. And is there another one? That's it, right? Some say praying there um, is um, also uh, one of the uh, pieces of armor is praying in the spirit. But guess what? Who prays for me? He intercedes for me. So in a sense, prayer, I got no problem saying prayer is a part of the armor because someone is praying for me. Christ is all of that. So if you go through Ephesians 1 through 5, look at all, just go through Ephesians 1, find the 12 spiritual blessings. Those spiritual blessings coincide with these pieces of armor. And all of that I have in Christ. Christ is my armor. And I put on that by faith. And when does that occur? In salvation. Nothing we do. Because in my battle to fight a spiritual enemy, as powerful as Satan is, I'm never going to accomplish it. And if I, you think there's some metaphysical, some brainwashing technique to put on some armor, no. So, and this is, look, I know nobody likes this, but this is how God designed the spirit, the Christian life. Nobody's going to want to hear this, but this is just reality. God saved us, imputed, or why did he impute righteousness to us? Because he knows we're never going to be righteous. God has put us on this earth to live a life where we are trophies of grace, not trophies of power. We demonstrate that even though we sin, our salvation is not based on what we do, but on what he does. Therefore, we get no credit. And so I can stand against Satan, not as we preach it as you can stand against Satan by not sinning. That's ridiculous. That's not the way it works. I stand against Satan because God, because I'm protected in the armor and righteousness of Christ, Satan cannot do what? We went, we went through all of the things in Ephesians. Can he touch any of those? Can he touch my predestination? No. Can he touch my adoption? No. Can he touch my inheritance? No. Can he touch my redemption? The Christian life is that I live my life in Christ, even though I'm going to fall. Because if Satan, if God really wanted us to win the spiritual battle, he would just get rid of Satan and remove the sinful nature. Why armor is not going to take care of a sinful nature. But in this case, if the armor is Christ, it does take care of the sinful nature because even though I sin, I'm still covered in what? His righteousness. So the Christian life is I am covered in Christ. Satan cannot ultimately take away my salvation. And no matter how many times I fell or sin, it does not destroy my salvation because I am covered in the, perfectness, the perfect righteousness of Christ. That is the armor. That's the only thing that makes any sense. Nothing else makes any sense. That's my hypothesis. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it gives you plenty to think about and to meditate on for the rest of the week. And I I may be talking about it in some other capacity, but I wanted to at least start trying to hammer that out to challenge because nothing else, the other things doesn't make sense. Because in that case, does it make sense on how to put it on? Yeah, by faith in Christ, right? Right? The other way, does it make any sense how to put it on? No, the best you guys could come up with is read your Bible. (laughs) Right? And then we, because we say, read our Bible, and then the argument is that we're somehow going to stand against Satan and we're going to stop him. But immediately that ignores where the real problem is. Where's the real problem? It's me. Right? If you build a wall around your house to keep the lion out, and then all of a sudden you realize the lion is in your living room, what good is that outward armor? You may keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you keep yourself from hurting anybody else, right? But the reality is, is we're the issue. Okay, all right. We'll see. I, this is not going to be very popular, but that's okay. All right. I'll just have everyone email Twyla. Okay. All right. Everyone contact Twyla if you're upset. All right. 
Twilight's email is, okay, now I'll give news. I, you know, I'm not going to even give my email address. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, understanding this concept is very difficult and complicated. And there's no one here, not even myself, can pretend that we've got this completely figured out. But the one thing I do know is that Christians have been claiming the armor for 2,000 years. And for 2,000 years, we've continued to sin and fall short and make promises about it that never come to pass. Help us understand this in a way that would give us greater confidence and what your son has done for us more so than in the confidence that we somehow have in ourselves. Forgive us, help us understand this and help us continue to study this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. That's it.